0: Welcome to the Omni Gamers Club Podcast. I am Daniel Winter. And this is Mark Uesa. Welcome Mark. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing really well. I just ate dinner out at Heidi Lao, which is always an exciting time.
0: Oh, lovely. What what cuisine is that?
1: <laughs> it's Chinese hot pot. I don't know. It's sort of like the Starbucks of hot pots. It's <laughs> it's very like high-tech and automated and things like they have robots delivering your dishes to the tables and stuff you order on ipads you got this like sauce bar it's it's quite a feast and uh they have a show even there's like noodle twirling (laughs) There's like these hand-pulled noodles, and this person comes out and does a little acrobatic type show, whipping them in front of your face. It's
0: a bit like like the Hachihana. I don't know. What what am I thinking of? The the Japanese style. um, It's
1: not Japanese. It's Hawaiian, actually. You're thinking of Benihana.
0: Benihana. It's the one. Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that whole dinner and a uh, show.
0: I I feel like I don't really take advantage of how how popular it is here in Vancouver. I've I've only had it once myself. (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh, we typically make a form of hot pot like shabu shabu. We call it in Japanese. The great thing about it is there's pretty much no rules. Like you can <laughs> do it however you want to with whatever ingredients you want to and whatever flavor profile as your soup base. If you get the ingredients and chop them up, you can you can do it.
0: well. So, uh, I'll have to check that out myself, and especially with the uh, all the high tech. Uh, advancements in in, uh, in restaurant technology they have there, which uh, which we might be covering a little late, later in, the, in the, our main discussion.
1: <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Heidi Lau is very easy, if you want a little intro.
0: <laughs> Excellent. This is, I guess, something of a, not quite a special episode, but we, we do have a, a special reason to celebrate, and that is it has been one year of Omni Gaming. That's right. We've now been going for, what, one year? And I think we've Fit in this is our 23rd episode
1: I'm pretty proud that we're squarely into our 20s old, old enough to drink and drive I mean not <laughs> at the same time I hope
0: no enjoy a nice drink while while you're're you're playing games and uh, we've had a couple of
1: guests which have been great and I'm hoping to have more I guess if I if I was asked how I feel about lasting for a year I just uh I'm really you know proud of the breadth of the games we covered. It's an eclectic mix. I guess we're two weirdos taste-wise, but we've covered a whole range and you know, I don't think any other podcast would have exactly the same lineup as we did.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think we've uh, really dug into the backlog of <laughs> of gaming history here. Our last episode was Tigris and Euphrates, which is 25 years old. So for all those people complaining that games content isn't covering the old games and all about the new hotness i mean we're, we're trying to do our, our party to uh to shine some light on some older games in the, in the in the history
1: yeah absolutely and the, the game we're covering uh tonight is like a couple of months old but we'll get into that in due time <laughs> but i think in our what you've been playing talk we always always cover a, a wide range i feel like of older and newer stuff um you know we like to mix it up
0: yeah yeah i mean we're both dads now basically they're, they're having they don't have a lot of time or money or disposable income for for chasing those hotness we don't we don't get to go to the all the big new con conventions and everything so we're we're often digging into uh what you know whatever happens to be available on board game arena uh whatever happens to be on game pass for example uh, and i'm sure like a lot of our listeners are probably in that same boat
1: yeah, we're very um, not mainstream, I would say, but we're very of the of the people.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, again, again, uh, quite relevant to to this episode. We are the proletariat podcasters. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we, we haven't got any big changes coming or whatever, but I think we've eased ourselves into a pretty good routine now. I think like the last our last few episodes, especially, I felt pretty good about.
1: I'm hoping to, you know, do more like I, I feel like just video games and just board games isn't truly omnivorous in terms of all the games we could pursue. Like we could talk about tabletop role playing games more. We could talk about war games more and we could talk about a wide variety of things game wise from LARPs to, you know, like game design even. So I, I think there's a lot of opportunity for us to try out new things, but still, you know, kind of honor the tried and true core of what we're into, which is, you know, board games and video games.
0: Absolutely. I know, I know we've spoken a little bit about uh, tabletop RPGs and, 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 other types of gaming in the past. Obviously those will require a lot more time investment. So it doesn't, it's a little, little, little harder to dip into <laughs> be a lot of the games we've been covering here, but um, definitely something worth looking into. If, if the, should the opportunity arise, uh, if anyone has any suggestions of what they'd like us to cover, we're, we're open to like both, both under our current sort of guise of games and and other uh, and outside of what we've covered so far. Uh, yeah, feel free to to throw throw a suggestion in the bucket. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, speaking of uh, your your dinner tonight, one RPG I actually picked up recently, but haven't had a chance to look into yet, is Shi from uh, fellow Canadians uh, Banana Chan and Sing Fun Lim, I believe. We're, we're running like a, a Chinese restaurant, basically, so we should we should look into that sometime.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It ties in with your board game feast food angle, and uh, obviously, there's some fantastic Chinese food here, Asian food in, in Vancouver in general, so it's a good fit.
0: Excellent. Well, we won't belabor the point too much. Perhaps we should get into what we've been playing.
1: Yeah. Happy anniversary. <laughs> what have you been playing?
0: Well, speaking of uh, what, what's something that we've covered in the past, we one of our episodes was the tiny Tina DLC we covered to borderlands, but I happened to find the new standalone game, tiny Tina's wonderlands at the library recently. So I, I've, I've been messing with that for the last couple of weeks. Oh, I cool. unfortunately had to return it before I got too deep in, uh, but I've, I've, been really been enjoying that. Uh, it is on console that I've been playing it. So it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's quite the best place to play those games. The gunplay is a little bit loose, I guess. Uh, but uh, th- I think the writing comes across a little better in that the framing device sort of stands off some of the rough edges of the some of the characters that were a little too, try, trying a little bit too hard to be cool in Borderlands 3, I feel. They, are, do, they just do still feel a little bit juvenile, but it suits those characters a little bit better rather than everyone having that same attitude, <laughs> in Borderlands, including the villains in Borderlands 3. Uh, and there's some some great voice acting. And this one uh, from like uh, was it? it's Will Arnett and Andy Sandberg and Wanda Sykes uh, sort of your main party that you're running through. But yeah, I've, I've, I was enjoying my play of that. The structure it has, you actually have an overworld that you're going into, and then this individual levels that you're popping, popping into, like including small challenges and larger levels. So it's it, it a little bit, bit more, a little bit more structured.
1: Yeah, I have uh I've completed uh Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, like the base game. I've finished the final boss with one of the characters and there is uh there is, you know, post-game post-end content uh, as well, not to mention the DLC. There's actually things to do. Yes. There's sort of this a new mode that unlocks after you complete the main uh, story. And I would say that I'm generally positive about Wonderlands, but I haven't really been playing it mostly because the first couple of dlc's were like super underwhelming mm. and not critically um, successful basically they introduced this sort of like randomized content kind of endless mode right right and uh, a lot of the dlc have sort of been that way it's you know right. not not bespoke content per se, but sort of these remixable levels where you're, you're just supposed to fight these bots in an arena. And that wasn't really my cup of tea. I think they have finally released the new character class, so I'm interested in trying that out. So I'll definitely play some more Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, but for now, it's actually been a little subpar to what I was expecting.
0: <laughs> yeah, I feel like the, the DLCs. I mean, that's pretty much part of the course. The, the DLCs are generally just more stuff. They don't. They're not really pushing the envelope and adding new storylines, except for like 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 the last one in like Tiny Tina's in um, Borderlands Two, for example.
1: Well, I would argue that most of the Borderlands content, other than the you know like the straight up arena fighting ones like Mad Moxies, are story based. Like they do add new regions, they do add new biomes, they do add new characters, and they do add add new stories. In a lot of the DLC of Wonderlands, is just remixing biomes that are already in the base game. Hmm, so right. maybe adding a few new guns, uh, maybe maybe adding one or two characters, but it's not handcrafted. Um, bespoke worlds and that that much is uh, fairly disappointing
0: yeah oh I, i'm curious to see it to its end at least and experience what story content there is that's pretty much it for video games i've been dipping into a few miscellaneous things it's probably not worth mentioning i'm still playing some hard hard space Shipbreaker. Uh, but I have been getting a few board games in, including a couple that we actually managed to play together. That was our first time meeting up in person for a while. Uh, the first of those is Mooncake Master, from a one of a couple of games I got from a company called Ori Game. It's a, a Singapore-based publisher, but the main designer, uh Daryl Chow, is actually Canadian. So, yeah, we, we, so we both played that. I, I'm quite a big fan of this one. It's, a, it's a, a very simple tile laying game. You're basically, you have a hand of tiles that you're drafting, but all players are simultaneously drafting, keep one tile and then pass one either direction to your left and right. So it, it's both plays very quickly. Like it, it, it moves along uh, and you're also encouraged to be looking at what everyone else is doing doing what they what they need and don't and or, or don't want uh, and and sort of hate drafting in the process so it, it, i really like the sort of instant instantaneity no that's that's not the word um, I, I like how fast and, and 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 how fast-paced it is basically and and a good degree of interaction for a relatively simple game
1: Mooncake uh, Master is very cute. It's very attractive. It comes in this really modest size box for how much they pack in there. It's not a long epic, but uh, it's quite playable with the right audience. I wouldn't say it's a gateway game, but sort of like maybe like one step up. Some of the elements I thought were sort of working counter to each other, as in the it encourages you to really sort of maximize your points and, and and min max there and then the sort of the wildness of drafting people hate drafting or giving <laughs> you you draft tiles to give to other people so as a result every round uh if you're playing with you know three or more people you're getting more tiles given to you than you're choosing for yourself and likewise yeah. you're choosing tiles to give to other people so you kind of have to Roll with the punches.
0: Big chaos factor take, there. Yeah, <laughs> take, take the chaos,
1: accept it, and then do as much calculating and maximizing as you can each round. So, so those two elements are probably going to stress some people out, but other people <laughs> will will really like that mix. I think
0: it's a good sort of pub game. Like, like the, the nice the, the tiles have this really nice heft to them, almost like coasters that it makes make it really fun to pass around. Yeah, no, no, it's, a, it's not a super not a super complex game, but good fun to just just pass around at the pub. Like I said, play quickly, not waiting for everyone else to to draft and the the hand of cards slowly go around the table. So, I, I, I quite enjoy that one for for what it is.
1: <laughs> uh, I've been playing another game on uh, Steam Deck. I've been playing this older JRPG called Tokyo Xanadu. Ex plus, <laughs> I forget who it's by. I think maybe the Spike Chunsoft, maybe one of, oh, one, of one of those kind of smaller developers, JRPG publishers. And it's surprisingly proficient game. It's 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 got great anime style story and character design and production quality, and it it covers the life in Tokyo aspect surprisingly well. But of course, it has a mystical. Paranormal angle because it has to, as a modern JRPG set in Tokyo, it's basically like a a budget Persona, very much the same formula. Your your high school kids, you get into these kooky paranormal adventures, but the combat mechanism is more real time oriented, sort sort of like an action RPG as opposed to the turn based combat of the Persona games. So I I was really surprised in a positive way by that one. It's worth taking a look, but if you don't like the Persona games, you won't enjoy it. And if you're expecting Persona level polish, then it's it's just one, you know, a couple of steps, couple notches below that.
0: <laughs> I, I haven't really enjoyed the Persona games, but I've struggled with how much there is in those and the anxiety of what you're missing out on, but that way.
1: <laughs> there is a touch of that as in there's multiple locations on a map within Tokyo and it will even show little portraits of your your school chums and say, oh, these guys are hanging out in this district and these other guys are hanging out in this district. So you as a high schooler with a paranormal side job, <laughs> you only have so much free time on your hands. So I think you do have to sort of pick and choose, but it's way less heavy handed than the very strict day-to-day itinerary of the persona games that actually kind of turned me off of persona five on the PS4 persona uh, Four golden is one of my fave favorite experiences. So Tokyo Xanadu EX plus is giving me is, is reminding me of that in a really nice way.
0: Nice. Well, having, having that stuff, Dink and Romper, which I think I discussed last episode, I am, I, I do, I'm, I'm looking for something in that genre that just, has the right mix <laughs> that isn't isn't going to give me that anxiety. It has the right sort of characterization that I enjoy, so I'll, I might I might take a quick look at that one, see what it's like.
1: I would say if you you could get it on sale, it's worth checking out. It's, it's fitting my mood for a lightweight RPG, and then I'm going to mention a couple of a uh, couple of more games. I tried out Watch Dogs 2. I was really not a big fan of the first iteration, but Watch Dogs 2. It just happens to be on uh, Game Pass right now, so of course I gave it a shot. Played through the intro mission, which uh, is actually pretty pretty cool. Like it, the gameplay is tight. The character is really compelling, as opposed to the angry dad of Watchdogs and <laughs> One.
0: Aiden and his iconic hat.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's he's obviously like a young, you know, anti-capitalist, anti-establishment character and a black character as well which is great um, for a big publisher action series and it's basically a lot more uh, i guess the tone is less dark there's a lot more humor built in a lot more kind of punk style hacker punk i guess style aesthetic to it a little bit much in some (laughs) ways some of the your fellow hackers are pretty cringe worthy (laughs) so just watch out for that so i got past the tutorial level i thought it was really solid i watched this you know really slickly polished little hacker documentary uh, that's the intro and then you wake up and the first time you open up into the open world i was like ugh I just saw the map, <laughs> saw the world, which is lush, beautiful, very polished California. I think it's Bay Area <laughs> setting. And I just thought, I don't want to play this.
0: It's an Ubisoft open world game. It most <laughs> certainly is.
1: And even though it's not guns and not hacking, it's not jungles and not machetes <laughs> and not Jeeps or, or assassins in the ancient world, I just felt this like dread of uh-huh. walking out into that open world. <laughs> All this stuff you have to do. When you play uh, Elder Scrolls game, you know, you get a, a sense of possibility, right? When you finish the tutorial, you're like, ah, let me out there. Let me just head off in this direction and see what I can see. And in this one, it's like, uh, what kind of chores am, am so I going to have to so, do?
0: To, to check off.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I just shut that right off. <laughs> shut that right <laughs> right down. No, thank you. I guess I'll just say one positive thing is I, I tried to play dragon quest 11 yet again. <laughs> I've already mentioned it before how I've bounced off this game like three times, but on the steam deck, that's mostly where I've been playing games. It looks so good. It plays so sharp and that game, you know, it really has a lot of polish already. And I finally got to the part where the story is starting to, <laughs> open up a little bit more and newer things are happening with the silent protagonist. And it's making me care somewhat more basically when you go back to your village, if you remember that part.
0: Vaguely. Yeah. I mean, the story in that is very tropey It's not doing anything new right. really. I mean, but w- w- the further you, the further you go, the more characters, like the side characters are really where it's at in that game. And it's, it's a re- there are some really great characters and but as you mentioned, the polish, it's just the quality of life, the the, the, the really crisp animations. Uh, it's just a very easy game to just play and, and plug away at, basically. And it's, it's just a very colorful, fun place to be.
1: You can even have the combat play itself. So yes. <laughs> it's pretty much just like watching an animation, an animated series but I'm feeling much more positive about it than I used to. So There is a lot of well, game
0: there, be warned. Uh, it goes along <laughs> a lot longer than you'd expect it to. But there, there, are, there are a couple of twists that I was not expecting. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll put it that way.
1: Yeah, more value for your money. So Excellent. that's that's my video game romps uh, of cool. late.
0: Well, why don't we discuss the one other board game that we played together. Uh, that was Ecos. Ecos, First Continent. J- John Declare, I believe it was, right? Yeah, I think that's right from AEG a few years ago. Remember it being the big showcase game at the last Shucks?
1: No, I was most certainly there at, at the last Shucks, Shucks 2018. It was my first Shucks. And I sat down for a demo of Ecos there. And that was the very last
0: time I'd played this game. <laughs> I'd, I'd played it with one friend just after Shucks who'd, who'd really enjoyed it. It's so it's an interesting game in that you are, like, we were discussing last episode, the idea of shared play space. And this is you're working to more. Well, so it's definitely not a cooperative game, but you are together a- creating affecting the world. Yes. You're, you're creating this ecosystem together, both replacing the, the hexes that make up the the landscape and the animals that fill that landscape.
1: It's sort of like a God game. If you remember that genre of PC game from, I guess the, it was the 90s like or black the and eight, white. late 80s. Black and white or even older title called Populous.
0: Right, It was yes. on the
1: PC. Basically, you know, you, you set yourself in the role of gods and you affect the peons of the world, which who in this case are species of animal, wild animal. And I guess yes. it calls itself the first continent. So is that metaphorical? <laughs> is that Pangea? They are fairly like modern animals, like well, mo- animals that exist.
0: African animals, right? Sure. So I'm not sure if it's, if it's just a reference to that specifically. But basically, you're, you're all trying to manipulate this, this shared ecosystem to m- like make, make the most of, of points. Like one player might be really invested in antelope and trying to, to form a large a large group of antelope. Another might be sending out lions that are in turn eating the antelope and getting points for that. And so it's this really conflicting priorities of, of what you're trying to put out onto the board. But it's also really hard to know what everyone else is doing until it's too late, basically. It can be a bit of a race to try and, and and fulfill what you need to do before someone else is inevitably going to get in your way, whether deliberately or, or otherwise. But it's interesting. So you're, you're playing these tiles – sorry, you're playing these, I guess, cards in front of you that each re- require a certain number of symbols, basically, to activate. But these symbols are being drawn out of a bag, so one of the time we draw a bag and everyone, like we, we draw a tile out of a bag and say it's a sun. Now everyone gets to check off a sun on one of their tiles. Uh, and when a, and when a card is complete, you shout out, Ikos, uh, like, which feels a little silly in a crowded restaurant. It's a, it's a, it's a little clunky in that regard, uh, I found. It's, it's basically a glorified, bingo game and it can feel like there's not a lot of agency just waiting for that to happen obviously there is some degree of setting yourself up for what's more likely or taking a gamble on a a card that requires rarer tiles but once the cards are down it's basically just a matter of letting that play out
1: i feel a little bit more positively about the game knowing sort of the arc of the game At the beginning, you definitely only start with your three or so cards that get played out. But as the time goes on, well, first of all, you don't have to take the resource that gets called out, Mm -hmm. especially if you can't take it, you get to turn this little personal reminder card. And after so many rotations of it, you can do stuff like you can play out cards from your hand or pull cards out of decks. And what that allows you to do is is play out a card that has different symbols that might not already be in your tableau. And that gives you more options of what to do with those resources that get called out. For instance, you might not had an elk symbol or you might not have had a dirt symbol or something like that. So you're more likely to get that number called out. Thus, you're more likely to be able to do something with it. And you also gain knock-on effects, as in if you complete an Ecos, it might grant you wild resources, which allows you to play another card, to fill another card, and then that itself might trigger another Ecos. So you can actually have these really effective, crunchy combo moves some of the rounds if you plan for it and add a little bit of luck to that as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, those, those combos are really the strong point once you start chaining those cards together. It, it is a little dependent on knowing what's in your deck. It, it is a game that doesn't really show itself in the best light on first play when you basically is given a deck of cards. You don't know what's in there. You don't know how they, how they combo together. You, you don't know what everyone else has, so you don't know how to counter those. So it can be very – we found it very spiky. I feel like people just taking wild leaps of points because we didn't know how to counter well their strategy basically but i feel like after several games you would probably have a better idea of that and it might it would probably flow a little better at the same time i don't know that i i want to invest that time in in learning this game it's a little too fiddly i don't mind luck so much but it's a little the game is a little long and fiddly for the amount of luck that's in there i felt some people you know
1: really like these games that are, for lack of a better word, fiddly because of the sort of crunch level and the combos that you can achieve. Like, for instance, I really like those sorts of things. I have a much more of an appetite, for instance, for this style of gameplay. And I think you yourself compared this game a bit to sort of the the fiddliness of a game like Res Arcana. You know, these like combo-rific combo sort of clockwork actions that you can take, they might be like a slow burn, and then you might really have these big payouts. And I tend to really enjoy that style of game. So yeah, if if you're like me and, and like that sort of thing, then you will probably really like this or like this more. In a sense, it's sort of fair because it's chance that it can affect the other people too. Yeah. It's cool in the design that it's asymmetrical because the actions you take can have knock-on effects to other players, but the value of them is necessarily the same. You know, it's not not necessarily zero sum. So there's a lot of dynamism
0: in the <laughs> in the play space. I think I'd rather play Quacks of Quedlinburg, to be honest, which is just, which has a similar sort of bag pulling, push your luck, but it's a little more streamlines, and you're each everyone has their own bag, so you feel a little bit more the master of your own. Uh, fortune there i think
1: <laughs> uh i think that's all psychological though. <laughs> those two are very very different games from each other gameplay wise and mechanism wise the only similarity i can see is that you're pulling something out of a bag perhaps yeah
0: but i mean psychology is is, is all that like, is really all that matters in a luck game as to whether you have a good time or not i guess <laughs> yeah no I, I had a good time yeah
1: It was pretty fun to uh, meet you guys in person. Uh, Chris was there. We thought we'd have a few other people, but it was nice to have a little
0: anniversary party for ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. Now, hopefully we can do that more often.
1: Shall we talk about our main event?
0: Yes, I think think we better. Okay. Well, today, uh, uh, as we've hinted at a couple of times, we're going once again into the sci-fi, cyberpunk future, With a video game, Citizen Sleeper Uh, came out earlier this year, uh, only on Xbox and Windows as of of right now. Uh, And it's developed by Jump Over the Edge, though that is, I'm glad to believe, basically just one person.
1: Right. And that person might be this designer that's credited, Gareth Damian Martin. Yes. Yep. The artist uh, I have written down here, Guillaume Singelin, although I spied multiple different art styles. So I suspect there might be more than one person on that list as well. And the publishers here are Fellow Traveler. So those names are pretty new to me. This, this <laughs> game has very much that indie flavor to it. What do you, what do you think there, Daniel?
0: Well, I believe, I know Guillaume has something of a following in the comics world i'm not familiar with their their work at all but they do have they they have published various comics that have that very distinctive style they certainly have their followers so i think a lot of their work seems to be more fantasy a bit more grounded than than this sci-fi from what from what i've seen at least we've talked a little bit lately about visual novels which i think is the easiest short form to describe this it is largely a lot of story text being delivered to you by characters. The framing device being, though, that you are on a space station er- Erland's Eye. A, something of a, I think it's a halo. I'm not sure. You never really get a, you never really get a, a, a full big picture of what space is. Yeah, this I think it's, it's a, a
1: ring shape, but not nearly as like planet sizes as, as the halo ring itself is.
0: <laughs> you you basically there are nodes around this ring that you can click on to interact with with characters or to push meters <laughs> largely you, you're managing like whether it's selling resources for money or pushing putting resources in to push a bar forward or trying to prevent your own bars from going down
1: yeah there's a lot of competing mechanisms going on for certain i think we should delve into like fund more fundamentally what it is though is that you know narrative heavy branching uh, story paths some call it lit RPG or RPG books. Like it's, it's got this sort of solo RPG aspect to it. As in, you are developing a character, you are leading one character, or are watching them grow, and you're choosing how the events of the of the world kind of flow uh, over the choices you make. And it's a lot less like dialogue heavy than the the visual novels that I've played. Certainly, as in there are dialogue, but. A lot of the times characters are just talking at you and you might be uh, choosing from one of two options or just saying, okay, as opposed to (laughs) getting like three or four options, like a, like a mass effect might present.
0: Yeah. And I I don't know that you ever really, only in a few cases, do you really have a true choice. It certainly gives you options in what to say, but mostly in how to express yourself, not really changing how things progress
1: and which sort of branches of that narrative tree you sort of pursue right like that's really how you're navigating this this world which is you know it, it is a world right it feels like a a well-designed and, and well um illustrated world so that part of it is is really cool i think the the world building the the writing say what you will about it it's it certainly seemed serviceable (laughs) uh there there are some sci-fi tropes in there for sure
0: yeah i I know you'd mentioned in a previous discussion you were were comparing it to the fighting fantasy series i think it is
1: yeah those so that's the fighting fantasy books they are novels that had sort of like a choose your own adventure quality to them but they also had like dice rolls and stats so they were like a little bit across between tabletop role-playing game and a more straightforward book and they were they had their heyday in the uh, i guess the 80s would be the last time that that was really popular but of late they've been converted more into digital form so um, i think they're available like on steam as pcr pc games Um, sorcery is another very popular title i just checked out on steam that i have copies of a single copy of something called sorcery one and two. So <laughs> there are computer RPG iterations of this li- literary RPG. They're, they're very popular in app form as well. So you can get them on um, your smartphone. I'm sure.
0: Yeah. I I've I, I read a lot of the, the goosebumps choose your own adventures back in the day, but that didn't really have any of the RPG elements. Obviously I never got that deep into the, into the hobby. <laughs>
1: But even those, even those choose your own adventure books, a lot of the times they would give you a binary choice, wouldn't they? It would be like, do this, go to go to the cabin in the woods, or go to the docks, or something like that. And,
0: and of even then, that it was would... usually, do you die or or do you or do you <laughs> right continue on? And if you die, it's just flip back to the last page and keep going anyway. So right. it's just it's, seeing these little these yeah. little mini branches, but you're always returning to the main thoroughfare generally. <laughs> right.
1: It's a it's a it's a fixed outcome and in this game you couldn't really try out a lot like you couldn't really f around uh because i think you only ever have one save file isn't that right like you can't save yeah there's like like an auto save and that's
0: about it i believe
1: i thought that was actually good because it didn't make me second guess my choices i just felt like i was playing my play and and we haven't even mentioned the dice
0: Yes, well, I mean, what well, I think we should start with is is the character and, like, a bit sure. more of the actual framing devices to who you are, the eponymous citizen sleeper. So it's never exactly described. You kind of pieced it together gradually over the course of the game, but you were some kind of android, I guess. You were basically a simulated version of a real human who has signed themselves away to some megacorp. And uh, I think that that human is still sleeping somewhere. They basically signed their their consciousness away to be put into an android who then works for a corporation for some indeterminate amount of time to to work off some debt. I guess uh, it's all a little vague, but basically you you are playing the android who, who is a distinct consciousness from the original human i guess and, uh, again little little confusing but you have escaped the the right. corporation
1: it's a little vague and, and i think you actually get a little bit of choice of what your background is but you get that choice so early in the game like in the first couple of screens that you. I, i've sort of forgotten it at this point but <laughs> but you're what you say is right you are this sort of vessel that a real human consciousness is occupying. And you seem to be somewhat organic because you definitely do stuff like eat food. But people treat you differently because you are a sleeper. Everyone calls you a sleeper because that's just a video game trope. People also treat you differently than other humans, it seems, because you are a sleeper. You must look very inhuman, I would imagine. There was a, a TV show, I think it was a Canadian TV show called Dark Matter. I don't know if you ever saw that.
0: It's on Netflix.
1: Uh, I think there's like three seasons of it on Netflix or something and Mm -hmm. it's sci-fi as well. And basically, the the way people travel long distances in that game is by transmitting their consciousness into a clone. Mm -hmm. Like That's how they do faster than light travel is that they don't travel at all. They just send the information over to a shell and if that shell dies you just get sent back to your original body, so <laughs> See, I feel like my, it- my
0: comparison I was thinking of was Star Trek, even so much as um, like the idea of the the teleporting, like which which is, which doesn't explicitly refer to clones, but the thought I know, I know a lot of people have philosophized like if if you if you're transmitting yourself, like basically, are you the same consciousness or have you just created a clone of yourself? which isn't there's right. no easy answer to that obviously we're not, we're dealing with with fake technology. <laughs> there's no there's no way of, of actually knowing this but the game does explore those ideas and you trying to come to peace with that about trying to figure out who you are are you this person are you your own identity now <laughs> yeah
1: it's 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 you're right it is quite philosoph- philosophical i mean it's sort of like an allegory right like one the initial part makes you think clearly of you know very dark subject matter like slavery. It seems to be that you are you're in servitude to whatever corporation that you're working for ostensibly. like I think it gives you some choices as to why you're a sleeper. Maybe you ran away, maybe you're in destitute, maybe something something like that, but maybe you're looking for adventure, but for some reason you've made a bargain. And that bargain has a heavy cost, and that's being in this non-human body essentially. So you have some options to fa- change your fate, but you know it's o- also an allegory for life under capitalism, right? Mm. As in, if, if you, you don't follow <laughs> right, if you don't follow the rules, your livelihood or your very life is in jeopardy, and you do feel very much that way as this unique character, the the sleeper, as in. The key difference from you and a regular human is that not only does your <laughs> energy go down, energy which in this game can be replenished by eating food, but you also have this thing called a condition. And this is like a literal like stat, like it's a meter. And it, it goes down constantly. And it's sort of like your body, your artificial body breaking down as what, if you don't the, maintain it. The, the, the
0: forced ob- obsolescence, I think they call it. Something, something like, like designed designed obsolescence I'm trying to think of the name
1: I think it, basically they don't want you know they don't want you be to th- be the star trek teleported transported person that can go on and live their own life they want you you know sort of changed down
0: yes basically keeping you alive with a chemical that only they have access to
1: that's right so you you're you're your company property at that point right as in you have to buy the food from the company store like an old timey a minor or something like that
0: <laughs> yes yeah i hadn't thought of that analogy but i mean, i think it's important to to clarify like you, you at the start of this game you, you have escaped you you've gotten you you found a way out of, out of the system and you're now on this space station that is outside of this corporate system ostensibly so you the shadow of this corporation is constantly hanging over you but this space station is basically on the frontier you are outside of the system, and in many ways, it's people trying to survive in and around capitalism, or just outside of it, in various ways.
1: Mm, that's interesting the way you worded it. Like I didn't think of the game starting as you escaping. I thought of it as you sort of entering into that contract of desperation. Oh like, no, you, you've
0: you've explicitly escaped, I and mean, that's why they're sending bounty hunters after you. But you. Work for these corporations, though. Right at the start, right? Like you have,
1: you have missions to do.
0: No, you you're just scrapping, though. You you've just turned up on this space. Like you've basically jumped. You you were working for this corporation on some kind of spaceship, and you've basically snuck aboard this ship as as it's left and 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 washed up half dead and and frozen on this space station, and then Mm. that is scrapping various um, old, old. ships of some kind
1: yeah you very well could be right i don't remember that (laughs) early part of the narrative that closely uh like you're right you are chased by bounty hunters or whatever but that sort of narratively doesn't make sense why don't they just go after your meat body where your actual consciousness resides
0: well they they may have you you, there's you never get any closure on what has happened to your real person Are, are they still asleep that's the one of the questions is because you you've escaped because they have no, they have they're no longer like have you failed your contract so now there's no reason for them to wake you up they'll just keep you asleep or print off a new consciousness like you, you never get any closure on that question you don't know what the situation is with the human version of you all you have is the identity that you are now and trying to make peace with that trying to make a new home for yourself finding your way on this strange <laughs> space station. Mm,
1: yeah, it gives me shades of uh, ghost in the shell that the big theme of that graphic novel and movie is that, you know, if you never see your brain, where, where does your consciousness reside? Right? Like, <laughs> I've it, actually seen did. that.
0: I, sh- I should look into that.
1: Oh, it's, it's well worth. In, in oh, I know it's a classic, <laughs> but that's, that's an aside. So yeah, that's, so that's mechanically um, what, Constrains you mechanically speaking. You have your condition you have to track. You have your energy, which, you know, regular animals like humans have to track that too. You have to feed yourself or else. <laughs> you're, yeah, exactly. You got this food meter and you got to make money. That's how you gain access to things that will help you maintain those conditions. Like you buy this drug called stabilizer and that helps boost up your condition meter, which is steadily going down. You, of course, can buy food, which fills up your energy meter. And then you're going to have to buy pretty much everything else by trade or trade effort and time trade favors for all the other items like mushrooms or computer chips or scrap that you're going to need to fulfill the various missions on the ring. And as you complete those missions, you're going to do stuff like build up relationships and advance some of these narrative tracks that are laid out for you.
0: Now it's probably a good time to, as you mentioned, the way you are interacting with all of these systems is dice. So very much abstracted, but each day cycle you have up to five dice. You roll them at the start of the day, and the value of those is going to affect how successful you are at all of these activities. You're trying to do so, basically, it's basically a bit of a, an action selection worker, pla- worker placement almost.
1: Yeah, dice you, you, placement.
0: Yeah, you you place one of these dices in a in dice in a node. And if it's like a five or a six, you it's a guaranteed success. If it's a three or a four, you like it's a, a partial success. If it's a one or a two, you it basically reduce chances of, of of succeeding. And certain activities having being more risky. Like some might be relatively safe. Others, if you fail, you might, you might lose money. You might lose condition. So it, it depends on whether you really want to risk putting a one or a two into certain activities
1: right i think it's explicitly i think a six is a guaranteed success but based on how which character class you've chosen or how your upgrades have gone i think you gain like automatic plus ones so at that point a five also becomes a guaranteed success sort of like um that game i often mentioned uh, eclipse actually that's (laughs) that's the way the the dice rolling combat mechanism works is the the target is always a six but uh, low dice rolls are generally bad, but they're not necessarily bad because some activities you actually have to have low dice rolls to do. Other activities, the number on the die actually doesn't matter at all.
0: Yeah, I, I think this is a sub-level, basically, the the sort of, um, a hack, hacking network uh, and that sort of virtual layer of this space station that you can... Plug the low-level dice into to get some secondary resources, and there's a few storylines associated with that. But yeah, largely, that's, that is the game: is you're managing dice that in turn are managing meters of centimetry. <laughs> so it's, it's all it's all a little bit abstracted at the way the way you are you're you're interacting with these systems. But I, I guess to to go into what what you're trying to like, what what your goals are in this game, it's very much a wide Sort of a wide delta of options. Like we we're discussing the truth your own adventures that are largely going to have one narrative push and a few sort of branching systems. This, other than like a couple of storylines at the very beginning, and you, you're going to largely be branching out into multiple storylines and, and going where you see fit. Like each each storyline is basically a character. You'll come across a character. That person will have a story. Like each each character might take like half an hour to an hour to tell their whole story over like that might uh, take several different areas to unlock as you go it, it's, it's it could be quite long-winded but you have a lot of freedom as to which of these storylines you're going to follow
1: yeah i found uh, actually that in the initial few cycles like the the days are measured in cycles basically in a day you're only going to have a maximum potential of five dice allocations, but you can potentially do more actions with just money or spending scrap or things like that. But ultimately you're only going to have to make uh, somewhere around five or six choices per day. So there's, there's a natural kind of rhythm to it. And in the beginning, you actually don't have a lot of choices of things to do. Hmm. You only have this small area. You only have, you know, three or four or five options there. And yeah, I found it actually quite, quite dull. Uh, right at the beginning, because the branching paths were not so evident, they, they certainly funnel you into certain directions. Some areas you have to hit multiple times over multiple days. And some characters, even after you've befriended them or they've kind of started conversations with you, they'll say, Hey, I need six days to figure this out. So you have to sort of bide your time until the next leg of this. Mission arc comes back to you. So it does branch out before too long. But in the early days, I remember it being pretty slow going and kind of uninteresting.
0: At the same time, early on, you do have quite a few external pressures applied to you. You, like the aforementioned bounty hunters, you, you know they are coming for you and you have a vague idea as to how long before they get here. Your main drive, at least that early game, is find a way to take yourself off the grid before they get here. You've got very little money, very little resources, very little people to talk to. I, I think that it's very, it's very much deliberate. Having so few options early on in the game, you feel helpless. You don't know who you can trust. Right. Uh, and it, it does, at the start, very much feel like one of those games. Like you said, you, you do feel discriminated towards people treating you differently. And it feels like it's going to be that game where you have to think about, well, is this someone I actually trust? Before I go, go giving them my money. Like some, a couple of the characters will. You have to basically have to. They ask for help from you, and you need to decide whether you're going to give them money to see their storyline through. And that's very hard to come by early on.
1: Yeah, I feel like the early parts of the game, and this is quite intentional. You're right. Is that they're trying to explain the world to you, right? They're trying to explain these, you know, really these far off concepts. And basically, the world building aspect to you. And they're also trying to explain the rules of the game to you at the same time. So they take their good time doing it. You know, you're picking yourself up by your bootstraps, essentially, (laughs) right? You have to learn how to crawl before you can walk and before you can run. And very much at the beginning, you're just having a challenge, like essentially feeding yourself and keeping your condition up. Because we haven't mentioned that if your condition goes down, by a certain number of ticks, it actually reduces the number of dice you have available to allocate. So if your condition is so low that you only have two out of the potential five dice that you could normally allocate, you're progressively getting worse and worse off. You have less potential to make money, and it gets harder and harder to buy that stabilizer to boost you back up. So just that balance is a bit of a hurdle to get over but at that same point as you become more and more capable as you unlock more and more different abilities and sort of learn the value of things relative to each other you can find optimal paths you can more easily keep your condition and your energy up and you feel like you're sort of more comfortable in this world that's that's presented to you
0: yeah, I have to wonder how fail states work in this game. Like, I, I can see a point where you, if you lose enough condition, like if you if you can't scrounge up enough money to get your new stabilizer, so that you so that you're, you, you now you're losing dice and now you have less dice to try and get more money. I can very see it. I can easily see it falling into a, a spiral where you basically have no way to, to to bounce back. And I'm very curious: a, if that's possible, and b, like do you just get a game over screen there because there are some implied fail states in this game both condition and also these bounty hunters at least one of those fail states does if it comes to pass just leads to a new story like that just the game just builds on top of that like something is a new stage to that story basically it's not the end there but i'm, I'm curious if there are any real fail states here, or, or if these pressures are all just uh, an illusion, basically.
1: That's a good point. I never let my condition get so bad. I think I got down to like two dice at, at minimum, and I felt pretty bad, um, just the pure cost of not being able to, you know, basically lose that opportunity cost, right? So I I, I bit the bullet, made the money and bought the stabilizer and it becomes easier new branches unlock for you like i said so it was definitely worthwhile and energy is fairly easy to maintain there's only like six (laughs) slots right and eventually you don't have to buy your own you can can grow your own babe Uh, you can (laughs) do these actions where if you just allocate any amount of dice you get some amount of energy back uh, not to mention the, the unlockable upgrades that your character can have. So there are a lot of options in how you can play this game out. And I think mechanically, it's really quite solid. I, I would wholeheartedly say that this is an RPG in the true sense of the word.
0: Yeah, I, I, d- d- doubling back for a second, I, I did have a moment where I was cutting it very close. I was waiting for like a good bar to fill up. Meanwhile, the the, the bad bar of like something bad is about to happen was like, one or two cycles away i just scraped together enough money to 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 push the the good story along if you know what i mean it's, it's it feels a little bit like um the arkham horror lcg where you're 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 trying right. to push the good but like you're trying to try to advance the good story deck faster than the bad story deck uh and i i, I managed to just or like
1: uh Battlestar galactica right like all yes. the meters are going down but you're trying to put all your best efforts into moving the meters up yeah I know what you
0: yeah, mean. yeah so I mean and then I did scrape that together and which was a great moment of tension uh, but it's hard to know how much of that is designed because I, I was basically exploring every storyline I was trying to, to to follow every bit of possible content I could but possibly doing too much at once sure. The world opens up. Yes. Like I
1: said before, you start with really a small enclosed area, but basically at some point due to the narrative or you can literally pay to access certain other areas. It's kind of like accessing a new continent in like an RPG game. It's like there's that many more locations and options and quest lines to pursue. Some of them are gonna make certain things like improving your condition or gaining more energy much more easy and that's the only way to advance a lot of the quest lines so more quests open up and at times i found like really overwhelmed by the number of <laughs> open quests i had going at any given time like i had like 15 or 20 open uh, at
0: some points yeah and then they're, they're pretty much all independent of each other like e- each person you meet is a storyline that you're following independent of all other stories. Like th- th- some do unlock as you go further along, like one person's story might unlock other's stories. S- so in terms of those external, external pressures, I was, I was mentioning at some point without, without spoiling story beats here, but those do fade away. Like you, you have enough options that gives you some flexibility. You have enough money that you can buy whatever resources you need I, I work for the story beats, but you, you do, you do, those do become less of a pressure, and it gets to the point where you don't really have that anxiety anymore. And like the last couple of hours of the game are pretty much a breeze of just following whatever stories you want. You have all the resources you need. Uh, there, there's not really any. It is, it is, on one hand, it's not very engaging. Like there's no, there's no pressure. There's no anxiety. There's no choice to be made other than just following the storylines you want to follow. But, again, it's very much playing into the story. I think the story and the, the messages take precedence over the, 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 the gameplay needing to challenge you, if you know what I mean. Like, the more comfortable yeah. you feel on this station, the more friends you make, the, the more you feel at home, the easier the game is. And that is very mu- it's, it's very much trying to say something about community
1: Yeah, mechanically, the easier the game is, you're still presented with some harder ethical and political and, you know, even like emotional choices, right? Because at a certain point, as you develop these storylines, you're going to have to choose to stick with this buddy or help this person or betray this person or choose between two admittedly not great options <laughs> and i thought that those were the most satisfying moments when it really made you make a harder choice and one of the examples i i don't literally know because i think you might have made more progress before the dlc came
0: out yeah i've, I've not touched the dlc yet yeah right. I, I, I feel finish, like, like i
1: played some of the dlc oh. so if I'm correct in in what parts was the DLC, it's just all melded into one for me. I felt like it was like a bridge too far that I couldn't achieve that. And there was actually a story path, that, a really compelling story path that I wanted to pursue. I wanted to help these people, but they had a very fixed deadline and they had a lot of things that they needed to achieve. Huh. And I made a conscious choice thinking, this is a fool's errand. Like, <laughs> even with all of my help dedicated to this you're not going to meet your goal and you know basically you had to convince these characters that you, it's hard to say no right it's hard to be the hero of an rpg and say sorry it's not worth it to try and help you guys like that's very counter to the way you've been trained trained playing western and japanese rpgs you can do it all <laughs> video games yeah you think you can do it all like in certainly in you know lots of games like the, the good games are the games that don't let you do it all, essentially, mm. like uh, Fallout New Vegas or something like that. Eventually, you're going to have to pick your sides and eventually you're going to have to let some people down. And force you and to live with game, the
0: consequences rather than just giving you a yeah. game over screen.
1: <laughs> right. So there are literal missions I failed. There are huh. people that I upset. There are things, eventualities, outcomes that from the outset didn't look so positive like i thought i would have gotten a literal game over screen and one of them and i would have been fine if i got a game (laughs) over screen but they basically they let me off and they let me continue with a fairly mild penalty yeah i don't know if it's a spoiler to give it away but they let me off essentially did did that happen to you
0: well i didn't i said i didn't really come across any fail states other than like the the bounty hunter i will say that was that was a what, what seemed like would be a fail state but then the continues the story continues on uh i, I there were others implied but i never hit them and uh, again it largely that's going to come down to how many stories you're following at the same time if you get if you go in too deep trying to trying to save too many people simultaneously and it can be hard to know what which ones are going to require which, which ones are going to have those time pressures, basically, until you've already committed to it? And that can be one downside. You don't know what you're really getting yourself in for, I guess. But it, 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 I can see the pros and cons to that, like having to live with the consequences and 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 then play out what that happens. But if, if it feels like a bit of a cop out sometimes when they just let you keep going. And if, if the if there aren't any real consequences then it it just makes up some excuse for why you're given more time or, I don't know, it it can feel a little unsatisfying in that sense if there's not actual
1: stakes. So so I actually preferred the parts in this game that did have strict deadlines. Like the actual, the first Fallout game, like Fallout 1, has a literal deadline. Mm. And and that's why I've never beaten that game. But you do feel a pressure right from the very first moment of that game because you know that deadline is looming. And you have a similar sense of kind of doom impending in this game with multiple deadlines. And I think that's really good, because that is the thing that helps this from deteriorating into an Ubisoft open world, (laughs) you know, chore fest, right? At some point in this game, I guess I'll I'll just say it is like I came to an ending. But there were lots and lots of activities I could have done but I had no interest in doing, you know, that, that sounds negative, but no, it's actually, it's actually that I felt I had was satisfied with the, the arc that I did have. Mm. Right. I was satisfied with the path that my character took. I, I played the role, you know, (laughs) my character went on a journey. They came to an end. You got their closure. Yeah. A lot of people would call it, you wouldn't call it positive, right? It's not the hero's ending, but, I still felt satisfied. Like I came to a closure and I was okay with that. And that other chore work, I just didn't want to do.
0: See, I'm a bit of a, a glutton for seeing all of the content. Even if I, once I'm committed to an Ubisoft game, I have to see it through. I just can't help myself. But So there are three or four storylines, I believe in this, that will have a, a, a definitive ending. As in, once this quest is done, you will see credits. Yeah, and they, they each credits, give you like a hard but... out. They will, they will actually give you an option. You will have a very hard option that will affect what happens next. And that might be allowing you to, to play the game further or you might be done. And I generally, well, I want to so I, I say I saw the credits three times because I I kept taking the the choice to st- Day and continue to, to do the work. And, but, but I mean, that wasn't just because I wanted mm-hmm. to see more content. I, the character I had was playing, like had made a home here. They wanted to invest in this home and in this community. And so interesting, they stayed, uh, but, but that also gave me the, the, the side effect of I got to see more content, but yeah. <laughs> it, it, pay- I don't want
1: to, I don't want to spoil another piece of <laughs> pop culture, but that just reminds me of the last season of the good place.
0: Oh, I haven't seen that. Essentially
1: essentially where some people have a hard time letting go. (laughs) And I will tell you that I did not see the credits roll three times. I watched it (laughs) roll one time. And I I, I do recall that one choice. And I actually thought I was choosing the one that let me play on. Hmm. But it was kind of worded in a weird way. So it actually was the choice that made the credits roll. But by that point, I was sort of done like i said i was sort of i was satisfied and i was kind of bored because life was <laughs> comfortable like so maybe yuna got to a similar point but i kind of had to bounce because like i felt you know i had i was satisfied with the arc that my character you know achieved and uh, I wanted it out
0: yeah that one is uh, is one minor quibble I have that sometimes it isn't completely clear with what it's asking of you I remember there being one storyline where you there two sides are kind of being played against each other and the character says like don't don't, don't keep working for this other person like, you're, you're working at the cover and they basically they don't want you to, to interact with this other person and they say oh I'll be in touch in like several days. And so now I'm thinking, okay, do I need to just do I need to literally wait several days and they'll and they'll give me an option at some point, or do I need to keep pushing this other storyline that they told me not to do? And they'll show up, and it ended up being the latter, which wasn't mm. which really wasn't clear. <laughs> uh, and so right. sometimes, yeah, the, the language that it uses is kind of clashes a little bit. But yeah, I, I, each of those is, maybe yeah maybe some stuff doesn't shouldn't have to be fully telegraphed
1: right like yeah maybe you shouldn't need to know how a quest line is going to unfurl you just kind of have to follow it go where it goes and it and- definitely
0: wants you to be a little bit confused a little bit un- uh, like not at ease basically yeah.
1: <laughs> right un- uncertain for sure i want to talk a little bit more about brass Tax because i think i've made my you know feel about this game fairly clear that i think this game is worth playing if you like narrative based games this game has a lot going for it There's a lot of sci-fi tropes, but it makes you think it makes you the characters are really interesting in the variety that's there. Uh, We haven't even talked about artwork. (laughs) There's a bit of a jarring mismatch of art styles in this game. The UI is very stark cyberpunk ish style with lots of flat colors the 3d models of the the space station and the docking ships are very kind of like minimalist they're still quite attractive you know everything is attractive but the character art from the aforementioned artist is obviously lovingly crafted very distinctive but i thought it was a bit incongruous mixed with those other elements. There's a lot
0: going on with each of these character designs.
1: (laughs) Right. They're they're to me, I don't know, you you might feel different, but to me they're sort of cutesy. And and I liked them because they were sort of cutesy. Like there was a wide range of skin tones, age is, you know, even like, is this person fully organic or are they somewhat Mm -hmm. mechanical? There were different genders and different statuses. And overall i thought they were very cutesy and attractive i liked their art style but there was a softness to them and a cutesiness to them that was at odds with the sort of the stark and the jagged edges of the 3d models of the ui and i'll even say that there's these a few non-human characters as in they're not necessarily organic or robots and those are very abstract. And that was yet another art style. So I thought the various art styles, while all very well realized, were sort of at odds with each other.
0: Yeah, it's hard to know where is where it's a stylistic choice and where it's the art trying to say something about these characters. They all feel very lumpy and kind of... Like they all have so much, they all got wires coming off of them and like really bulky clothes, and they all feel very much sort of worn down by the system that they're in. Like, they all, like, all, all a little bit haggard, and uh, no, no one really looks particularly comfortable or um, at ease <laughs> in this game. They are all just surviving generally and but at the same time yeah they do have this sort of cutesy style that i was looking at this artist's other work and a lot of it's almost like very chibi style right and this doesn't come right. to that but it's a very cartoony like comic style it's yeah. um
1: it would be it would be a real crime if they don't make a graphic novel or an animated movie of this of this world mm. like i think it i would love to see that World fleshed out because it's it's obviously like a well crafted, well thought out whole world that they're living in, and so I appreciated all the parts. All the parts didn't blend so well together, but maybe it doesn't have to. Maybe it doesn't have to be so sanded down like a Ubisoft or EA yeah. game. It's nice that there are some jagged edges sometimes. And
0: instead, uh, like, there there definitely are jagged edges in this game, and it's really hard to know to what extent that's the point. I, say, right. I think the message really comes first before the mechanics being balanced. Like it is trying to make you feel something here rather than experience good gameplay and experience a cohesive art style. You know what I mean?
1: And one more criticism I have is the UI. I played this game both on gamepad, mostly on gamepad with the Xbox controller, but I also played it a little bit with a PC and mouse setup, and neither was really ideal like i i felt like neither one was really superior to mm. the other i i got pretty proficient with the gamepad but there were still some misclicks still some weird button choices and then the mouse like the, just the dragging over the dice shapes was like <laughs> a little tiresome after a while like i kind of think this game will will most certainly go to tablet at some mm, point yeah that'd
0: be a it sort of seems ideal it,
1: for that and a touch interface might be the best of On all. Switch,
0: perhaps, would work pretty well.
1: Yeah, Switch or just iPad, like just dragging down your finger and touching the nodes with your finger and double, scroll, double finger scrolling. I think that might be the fastest and most fluid form of interfacing with this game because at a point, once you have like 20 or 30 <laughs> nodes that you can access, just remembering where the heck do I get the efficient energy conver- conversion or wh- where can i earn the most money for my for my
0: dice and a lot of them are pretty useless at some at one point like yeah which which spaces
1: <laughs> right which dice spaces are looking for exactly a dice result of two <laughs> like none of that is shown to you in a streamlined way you have to just hunt around you have to dig into zoom into the node and read the descriptions before oh yeah this is the spot a lot of memorization and a lot of repetitive qualities or uh, requirements to the UI, I
0: thought. Yeah. It, it, in many ways, it is it is quite a clunky game, both in interface and in pacing. And but I, I think ultimately it, it is worth it for the story, for the message of what it's trying to say.
1: I, I agree with you. Uh, the The narrative, the journey that you go on, the RPG aspects, which are, I think, quite meaty, quite well represented there, the character that you embody—you feel that that character like a vessel, like you know, like a bottle. You, you, your character is poured into it in the fictional world and in this video game interface, and you inhabit it, and you very much feel that sort of odd disconnect, but you just sort of understand what the character is going through, and you, you inhabit it like a true role-playing game should yeah more than you know in any tabletop rpg where i was swinging an axe i never really felt like that (laughs) character but in this game you sort of could because you're you're sort of interfacing with it right Mm -hmm. through a machine
0: you keep saying how well this really represents role playing and and yet i feel that the actual like the class you choose the stats you choose all end up being kind of redundant so at the start of the game that might help out a little bit here and there but by the ends like you're breezing through so much of it that you, it, it all feels a bit arbitrary but at the same time they are yeah. they have contributed to who you are as a person like it's so much yeah. more important who you are and what you're like the, yeah, the, the role exactly. that you're like, playing is so much more than the stats here
1: yeah like that's to me rpg classes are just your background who you ultimately become is up to you.
0: Making that choice at the so, beginning of the game is still very important. You are defining this is who I am at the start of the game. This is who I want to be. And then, sort of, if you invest into that, right. I think it's only a lot more rewarding. From
1: my perspective, the role that you're playing is the choices that you make, not the stats that
0: you exactly earn. Yeah, right. Uh, so I mentioned at one point that it, it, at the outset it feels like it's a sort of game where you have to figure out who you need to tr- who you need to trust. To, like, am I going to give this person my money? And it really ends up not being that game at all. Like with other than a couple of exceptions, like the the, the bounty hunters, most of these people end up being friends. Just about everyone you meet will end up being a close friend by the end of their storyline. And I mean, on one hand it can feel a little bit unrealistic that like this sort of, it, it sort of starts out as this sort of, you know, hive of villainy and scum and there definitely is like there's a whole black market and gangs and crime and all these sort of, Things going on, and yet the the big focus ends up being friends and community and working together to to build this space and 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 help each other. And it's it's, it's a little strange to find that much hope in a cyberpunk game, and in a way, it, does, it is a little unrealistic, I think, but is also needed. It's very cathartic
1: to see. But that's that's what that's what cyberpunk is, though. Like cyberpunk isn't about like how fast I can shoot guns or like how many um, drones I can control. It's, the, it's about, the,
0: um... it's about sticking it to the man, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: It's about fighting, fighting, fighting the system. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's about being a punk, right? Mm-hmm. It's about defeating the system. It's, it's not about how jacked you can get. Like that's just a modern perversion. Yeah, like right? the so CD this... Projekt Red <laughs> game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How much money can we make? <laughs> By selling out to a corporation. Yeah, I I think this is this Uh, is true cyberpunk. Yeah, it gets more to the closer to the roots, anyway. Yeah,
0: and a a little little too holistic, and and I said a little too hopeful in a sense to to be truly realistic. But I think, especially in these times right now, it's what we need.
1: (laughs) That's like that's like a video RPG trope, though, right? Like, just like in Skyrim, you're the Dragonborn, you're the hero of Gavach or whatever, but you're still. You're still helping cats out of trees in that game and, and, <laughs> and collecting apples for, for the village festival or whatever in the end. You're, you're trying to be everything to everyone, which is absolutely unrealistic, <laughs> but that's computer games for you.
0: So I, I think that's a pretty good summary. But one one final thing I, I, I meant to mention, did you find the cat? Did I find a cat? The, the stray and not 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 stray the other cyberpunk game of the moment. Uh there, right. there you can you can find a cat that you can feed. You can you can feed it as many times as you want and it will come and, and, and visit you and just huh. hang out in your home, but there's not really anything else. It you out. can just you can just dump resources into this cat as many times as you want. And as far as I know, nothing comes of it. But you can again, it's a little bit of character moment. are, are you gonna feed this cat for no benefit other than you were feeding the cat?
1: <laughs> well, you you found a cat. I spent some quality time with a sentient vending machine. So that was
0: me. <laughs> that was one of the one of the better storylines. I really liked that one.
1: It's true. That's a good game. I recommend it.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, what six hours I think, but it, it's a little bit. You can spend more or less time basically following whatever whichever storylines you want. You can see all the endings or just follow the one that you really enjoy. But yeah, it's a great space to to spend some time in.
1: Right, and get it on Game Pass, because it's free right now.
0: (laughs) Sponsor us.
1: (laughs) Ka-ching. Okay, shall we talk about uh, the next game we'll be playing?
0: Yes, so we're going back to the board game realm uh, with another older game, I should add. I, I don't know the actual. Yeah, it's an older game
1: with a a new version, right? Yes.
0: So, I mean, that is Russian Railroads. Uh, They they did just have a new big box edition called Ultimate Railroads that included a lot of the expansions. So it's sort of like a
1: a ticket to ride with multiple map packs in it. But the, the bones of it seem to be the same. And i have some history with this game so i'm looking forward to talk about it
0: yeah I've, I've, we've played it quite a few bit on uh, on on board game arena in the past i'm just looking at it the original game is from 2013 so you know, 10 years ago Yes, nice. it's, it's um it's classic yeah it's been it's it's still got still got legs so i'll say we'll be looking at that and i we should have a guest should everything line up as expected <laughs>
1: Yeah, looking forward to speaking to another guest. Uh, although I have to bone up on the ultimate version because um, there, there's some, there's some curveballs in there.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm hoping to to find. I'm, I'm getting a friend to lend me the physical copy to to compare, like really get to grips with it rather than just the digital implementation. So perhaps we can make some time for that. Sounds so great. So stay tuned to our uh, social media, generally Twitter. I think we're m- most active on at the Omnigamers Club. So we'll, we'll announce more information uh, about like about our guests, about upcoming Twitch streams. We just last week did a live Twitch stream where we played Tigris and Euphrates. That's right. Won't, we won't, won't spoil who won, but it was, a, it was a very close game, I will say. So go, you can go check it out the VOD close. for that. I, I'm probably going to stream some Citizen Sleeper, maybe play through the DLC in the next week or so. So stay tuned for that. Uh, if you have any questions, games you'd like us to cover, You know, war games, RPG books, (laughs) fighting, what you're doing is review fighting fantasy. Any suggestions, questions, please let us know. Omnigamersclub at gmail.com. That's right.
1: And uh, I'm Tesco's Games on Twitter. I have been doing some really bite-sized manga reviews of the titles I've been taking out from the library. Keep an eye out for
0: that excellent yeah I, I am board game feast on twitter and other platforms where you can see me combining the the games table with the dining table and creating some uh sort of tasty treats for your, for your game night i've just wrapped up my big oath project creating multiple sort of dishes for the the board game oath uh, i'm just ramping up a new series on cryptid cafe a new game that i just got in so stay tuned for that
1: well, I look forward to our next conversation and in the meanwhile, we've got some games of Ultimate slash Russian Railroads to complete.
0: Yes, yeah. Oh, I think it might be my, my turn right now.
1: <laughs> hey, I, I have a new catchphrase idea for you. Oh, oh, hit me. I'm looking forward to our next time at the table.
0: Ah, I, was, I was just, just going to say see you at the game table but then how do you play yeah. video games at the table we'll have to, we'll have
1: to it's, we're talking at the table <laughs> games table, the dining table I guess that's more for board games we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out
0: I, 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 we'll, we'll take it back to the, to the workshop <laughs> we'll get there eventually <laughs> keep on tinkering All right, thanks for listening everyone, I'll, thank you Mark
1: I'll see ya, right, bye, bye.